This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show here on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. My name is Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media. Great stuff today with big bowl games happening this weekend. Brett Siancia of Pick 6 Previews, he's joining us to give us a primer for the college football playoff semifinals including who he has winning it all. Sean Bach of 24-7 Sports and Hawkeye Insider is on to give us his expectations for Iowa versus Kentucky and the Music City Bowl as well. And then he gets us the lowdown on just what the freaking hell is wrong with Hawkeye basketball right now. That loss to Eastern Illinois and then Nebraska this week. So before we get to all of that, I want to start talking a little bit about the Missouri Valley Conference some midseason awards and what I think as we are three games into conference play. Of course, you and I taking on Illinois State today on this New Year's Eve in normal. I'm not even going to try to say the whole name of their arena. Redbird Arena was what it used to be. Now it's like the CWPC LMNOP. But anyway, they're playing uh, Illinois State today. Both teams, I believe, are one and two at this point. Look at the... Uh, the, yep, they're both one and two uh, right now and uh, taking on each other at, I believe that's at 2 p.m. today in uh, in normal, and that'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Now, not just you and I is what we're talking about right now. Of course, I've only seen four conference teams play so far. That's you and I, Evansville, uh, Bradley, and then Missouri State. So I haven't seen all of these teams live, but I have seen at least bits and pieces of all of them or the majority of them, maybe not Belmont and Valpo. But other than that, I have seen at least a little bit of all of the Missouri Valley Conference teams. Anyway, I, what I'm getting at is maybe take it with a grain of salt. If you are a Bradley fan, a a Belmont fan, a Murray State fan, just I haven't seen everything, so so don't take it personally. I'm not trying to attack your team, at least for the most part. You know, uh, some of these some of these squads like Evansville and Valpo. Anyway, what I want to get to today are some awards, midseason awards, some considered traditional, some definitely not considered traditional. Uh, I want to get into surprise team of the year, maybe disappointment of the year, uh, most improved player, freshman of the year, stuff like that. So let's start with those individual awards and and some of the more traditional stuff. Freshman of the year, I really think it's down to two players as far as I've seen, and that's Robbie Avila from Indiana State and then Trey Campbell. Trey is averaging, I believe, seven points a game, but shooting 38%, or last I checked, he was shooting 38% from deep while Avila is averaging eight points a game and that same, I think, three and a half rebounds per contest as well. So Avila, the guy with the goggles, I, I, you just kind of have a feeling when you when you saw that guy commit to Indiana State and how good he was. And 
just not looking like an athlete at the same time, but able to score pretty, pretty efficiently, even now as a freshman on a pretty good team. So you could just tell that that guy was going to be hated for a while. And then Trey Campbell stepping up and playing for this young team right away as a true freshman. I think a lot of people saw that coming. Now it's just exacerbated by the fact that Nate Heisey is going to be out for the season. And so it's to me, it's just those two truly that's it uh, across the MVC. Now there is one award, two awards that I really think are going to one player. And I don't think there's any competition, at least at this point in time. And again, take this with a grain of salt. I haven't seen everybody play, but most improved player. I I said it going into the season. I said it would be Titan Anderson. And I really don't think there's any competition for, for that position right now. He's averaging, I think 13 and nine. I'll have to look at his stats at this moment, but he's a top 15 scorer and the top rebounder in the conference after averaging eight minutes a game last season. So to me, I don't think there's really an argument for any other player, nine rebounds a game. And let's see here on top of that, he is the 11th leading scorer in the conference, averaging 14.1 points per game. So nearly a double, double leading the conference in double doubles. I don't know how you give the most improved player award to anybody else, but Titan, assuming he keeps this pace, assuming he stays healthy. Uh, I, he's just very clearly a dominant force on the inside for a team that doesn't really have a true big right now. So, I, I just think it's it's not even close for, for who wins the most improved player of the year award. And I mean, last season, I thought it should have been Noah Carter, but he was right in that mix for, for a little while. Wasn't even on the most improved team, though. Just a weird situation. And I, I, I see Anderson at least getting second team all conference. Uh, probably, probably, th- hmm, I should say at least third team all conference. Probably second team. That's what I would guess. Again, assuming he keeps pace with where he's at at the moment. And then the other award that I just think is not even up in the air at all is the newcomer of the year, which is Corvassier McCauley. I'm I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that name right. He is from DePaul, a transfer from DePaul, playing for Indiana State. He's a big reason why they've been so successful this year. He has just been absolutely nasty, leading them in scoring at 17.1 points per game. Uh, he's just very clearly a proficient scorer and, and does it on a regular basis. And I have just, I didn't necessarily expect this type of production from him coming in. I knew given that he was a DePaul transfer, that Indiana state was going to be a little bit more talented this season that he was going to contribute, but 17.1 points per game so far. That's impressive to reiterate. I think that he keeps up on that pace. He's going to, it's just going to, he's going to run away with the award. Uh, again, uh, there might be a few other guys that I'm not aware of that that are new players, but I don't know how you compete with that because let's see who's above him in scoring. Kobe King, not a new player. Marcus Domask, not a new player. Ben Shepard, not a new player to his team. Uh, new to the conference, of course, because he's uh, with Belmont. Ben Cricky, not a new player. Tucker DeVries, not a new player. Bowen Bourne, not a new player. So, that, I, I really think it's it's just a done deal. Corvassier McCauley from Indiana State, winning newcomer of the year, probably going to be on first team, if not second team, uh, and very close to, to first team in the NBC end of the year awards. We're doing midseason awards right now here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. And I want to save the player of the year award for last 
So let's move on to some team things that would be considered a little bit less than traditional. Surprise team of the year, in a good way. Surprise team of the year to me is between Murray State and Indiana State. And again, Indiana State has just jumped off the page this season. Did I think they were going to be better? I did. Did I think they were going to be this good? I did not. Harry Schrader, Father Harry, he was on top of all of that. I believe Josh Betts was as well, two guests of the show, friends of the show. And they were all over that from the jump. Indiana State is legit in every way. They're long. They're, they're just a lot of six, 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 five guys and then a talented big in Robbie Avila. And I am a believer. Basically, when you get anybody that's big and long like that, that has that type of, of length and ability to score, you're just, I mean, just pure talent on top of that. I really, I, I'm a believer in those type of teams. When you throw a bunch of guys out there who are six, 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 seven, and long, I just, I, I, it's, it's really difficult for me to see a scenario where they aren't successful. And I mean, I just, I'm looking at the roster. Cade McKnight, six nine. Zach Hobbs and Corvier McCauley, six five. Jason Kent, six eight. Cameron Henry, six six. Isaac Holmes, six six. Cameron Crawford, 6'6", six, 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 excuse me, 6'5", six, Kalex Stevens, 6'7", six, Xavier Bledson, 6'6". Six, six. UNI has three guys that are 6'6 six, six and above, and James Betts is kind of a big with the ability to shoot, can't really put the ball on the floor, uh, at least frequently. He has from time to time shown flashes of that. Then you got uh, Titan Anderson, who's 6'6", six, six, and, and Cole Henry, who's 6'9", another guy that you don't necessarily want the ball being put on the floor. But Indiana State has just been freaking really good. They've just been really, really good. Not as consistent as you'd like them to be, obviously, but they are really talented, and I've just been incredibly impressed with what they're doing this season. And the other team that has really surprised me has been Murray State. I believe they were picked eighth in the conference this season, but right now, seven and six, two and one in conference They, of course, had some kind of unfortunate losses, some really ugly losses to start the season, flipped it around and beat Texas A&M 88 to 79 at the Myrtle Beach Invitational. And they got some decent wins to start the season in conference overtime. It took overtime to beat Valpo and excuse me, Illinois State. But it's just really tough place to play there in Murray, Kentucky. And I still want to see some more consistency put together. They have lost two games in a row, one to middle Tennessee state. And then they lost to Southern Illinois. Uh, yesterday on, on, excuse me, on Thursday, they'll take on Evansville on January 1st. And that'll be uh, telling right there. And then it's a tough stretch for them uh, versus Bradley on the fourth at home at Drake and then at UNI. So that'll be definitely telling as to, who they really will be this season and in the Valley Uh, Belmont, not really a surprise to me, but they're definitely a a really good team that has come into the Valley and, and shown some, some talent Murray state. I tell you why they're such a surprise to me is that Steve Prome took over. This is his first year coaching. Once again, there uh, after being at Iowa state and prior to that at Murray at Murray, he just went out and got a ton of transfers and did the same thing that Indiana state did in terms of roster construction, Jackson Edwards, six, six Braxton stacker, six, five Rob Perry, six, four Patrick Chu, six, four Quincy Anderson, six, four Justin Morgan, six, six Kenny white, six, seven. Uh, let's see here. Sam Murray, the second six, eight 
Jamari Smith, 6'8", Marion Leston, 6'9", DJ Burns, 6'7". There you go. Just a bunch of big, long dudes who are athletic and can get to the bucket and score, play defense. And even the thing is about playing at this level of college basketball, even if your guys aren't that good at defense, as long as they're not you know habitual foulers, they're long and athletic, and that helps out a lot defensively. They might not have the best habits, but that's a good, pretty freaking good place to start. Obviously, teams like UNI lacking in that department, and sometimes it shows. Obviously, you got the youth and and the fact that so many guys left, and there's so many different factors for, for UNI going into this season with the way things have turned out. And speaking of which, disappointment so far of the season, a lot of it, UNI is one of the teams that I have been somewhat disappointed with so far this season. I'll start by saying a lot of it is out of their hands. Nate, no pun intended, I guess. Nate Heisey with the, the hand and, and wrist injury uh, the, that has has kept him out and will keep him out for the remainder of the season. One of their most experienced players, talented players, one of the best defenders in the conference. He's not playing. Obviously, Austin Fife who was picked third-team all-conference. We didn't even know if he was going to play. Now applying for another year of eligibility with the medical. I mean, just so much, again, there was just so much that could have gone right that has gone wrong for them at this point in the season that they don't really have control over. If there's a team that has been surprising given the amount of losses that they've taken in terms of health, in terms of players that have moved on, graduated, et cetera. If there was anybody that was going to handle it, it was going to be Coach Jake. Coach Jake has done a lot of really good things with this young team so far, but there are still plenty of of holes in the roster. And most of my disappointment for them is the fact that they don't have basically their two of their best players, arguably Bowen Bourne, their best player, leading the conference in scoring. So that's that's pretty good. That's a pretty good argument. But then, I mean... You throw in the loss to McNeese State. You throw in the last second loss to South Florida. You throw in, at one point, a 22-point deficit to Missouri State. And uh, things aren't going the way Coach Jake would prefer them to go. And I think he would agree with that, at least at this point. They have shown flashes of being awesome and really fun to watch. Duak's an athlete. Landon Wolf can shoot lights out from time to time. And, of course, Bowen has been great. Cole Henry has has had a few games where he's played really, really well, and I think he is the key for them. I really do. Uh, James Betts showing he can shoot lights out from time to time as well. So some things going well. Obviously, Trey Campbell, like I mentioned, uh, some things going very well for them. They still got a lot to figure out. And in that same vein, disappointment, I, I guess Missouri State, I think based on what we saw the other night in, in the McLeod Center, it's it's tough. It's tough to say that they are two and one in the conference. But the thing is, why I would put them in there is because they got so much talent out of the portal, so much talent out of the portal, and they have yet to figure it out. I think what we saw this week was them beginning to figure it out. If they figure it out, they're going to be dangerous. It's not going to be a six-team race anymore in the Missouri Valley Conference. It's going to be a seven-team race because what they did on the interior to UNI, what they did on the perimeter for that matter, their ball pressure, their ability to play defense, wow. I, they're they're going to be a scary team come tournament time, especially if they, they continue to play like they did on Wednesday. Uh, with that six-team race, the other teams I'd put in there are Drake, Bradley, Indiana State, Murray, Belmont, 
in Southern Illinois. And while I think it wouldn't necessarily be a shock to see one of these teams pull away or or maybe even win the conference tournament in Murray, Belmont, and SIU, I really do think ultimately the Missouri Valley Conference champion, regular season champion, and, and tournament champion will be one of Drake, Indiana State, or Bradley. And I would probably give it to Bradley or Drake. Bradley, depending on health. Drake, depending on if they can figure out how to foot, put the foot down and and really dominate at, at points this season because they should be. I think Sadar Calhoun should be playing a lot more than he is. Belmont, Murray, and SIU have the talent. SIU, it's about offense, if I'm remembering correctly. Typically, they're a pretty good defensive team. And Murray's just so new in every way with being in a new conference, new coach, a bunch of new players. And and Belmont, I, I there's just something missing there. I have to I've yet to watch them super closely. So I, I'm gonna watch that and and continue to to check that out. But lastly, as we wrap up this first segment here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM950 KOEL and KOEL.com player of the year award right now. Pretty up in the air. I, the the top, I believe, five scorers in the Missouri Valley Conference individuals, Bowen Bourne, Tucker DeVries, Ben Cricky, Ben Shepard, and Marcus Domask. And first of all, it's not going to be Ben Cricky because Valpo is awful. Bowen Bourne probably going to be, be out on the outside looking in there because of the team record for UNI. Ben Shepard has been doing it all for Belmont, and that's why he was Harry Schrader's midseason uh, player of the year. And I, I've been impressed with the stats. Again, I haven't seen a whole lot, but uh, he's averaging, I think, yeah, 18 points a game and putting up pretty good rebounding numbers. If I could find them, I think like it's, it's like 18, six and three or something like that for assists or maybe 18, six and five or something. I don't know. He's putting up great numbers all over the place. But uh, and then there's Marcus Domask. But to me, who this really comes down to is Shepard and DeVries, and maybe with how impressed I've been with Corvassier McCauley, he could take a leap too. If one of these three players separates themselves, if they get over 20 points a game, if one of these teams separate themselves from the pack, if Drake, Belmont, or Southern Illinois separate themselves as the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference, they're going to take DeVries, Shepard, or Domask with them to winning the Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year Award. I'm very confident in that. The The awards tend to go with the teams that that win a bunch of games. I mean, I think it was last season when that scorer from Illinois State didn't even get on the first team. Antonio Reeves, he, he filled it up last season, averaged 20 points a game in 33 games, just behind Isaiah Mosley. And I don't think he finished on the first team all, all conference. I believe it was A.J. Mosley, Gage Prim, Marcus Domask and Terry Roberts, if I remember correctly. But uh, clearly, they they lean the way of, of teams that are winning, and Illinois State was not winning last year. And I, I presume that a lot of these awards are going to go to players on teams that win. That's just the way it is in the MVC. So those were our midseason Missouri Valley Conference awards here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Stay right here. We're flipping back to football, college football playoff primer with Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews coming up on this next segment. Stay right here on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more corn stocks and sports talk. 
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Not just a bowl game for the Iowa Hawkeyes this weekend, but here we go. College football playoff in action today with TCU and Michigan kicking off at 3 and Ohio State and Georgia at 7, both on ESPN. Now joining us for a CFP primer on corn stocks and sports talk on AM950, KOEL, and KOEL.com is Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Brett, welcome to the show, first of all. And secondly, I just got done telling you, uh, I haven't watched a ton of these teams play being an FCS beat writer isn't super conducive to that. But what I do know is that Georgia has been dominant all year, except for the Missouri game. Michigan's front five are nasty. Max Duggan is an Iowa kid and CJ Stroud has been a disappointment because he has now lost to Michigan twice. Do I have a good gauge on, on all of those and uh, all these four teams or, or am I way off here? Yeah, Elliot, thanks for having me on. That's a pretty good primer there, a pretty good playoff primer. And, you know, <laughs> speaking of playoff, I mean, with UNI, it's it's weird not seeing them in the in the FCS bracket. Um, I know they're the second most playoff team in FCS history there. Uh, you know, a little bit of a down year, but that is the, the SEC of the FCS, as we call it, in the Mount, uh, Missouri Valley. So I hope to see them back next year and keep up the great work. But, yeah, excited to be on talking uh, playoff here, FBS playoff. Um, we have two really special games coming up. I think we're in for some close games. And, that's been rare over the course of the college football playoff. Uh, so far, we've had 16 semifinals since they launched this thing back in 2014. 16 of them. Only three finished within a one-score margin. Um, you know, your, your average margin of victory in these games is 21 points. So uh, I, I, for one, hope that we get some close games here, unlike the usual blowouts we tend to see. So, um, But, yeah, you, you hit it on the head there. We, I want to break down both these games for you. Yeah, so I appreciate the uh, SEC of the FCS drop. We've definitely hit that a few times here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk. I uh, love covering some FCS football and, and the UNI Panthers, of course. But uh, when we look a little bit closer uh, of these four games, any particular matchup or, or player you'd recommend people watch closely that could determine one or, or both of these games this weekend? Yeah, I think uh, one of the keys to the games here is um, how Ohio State's defense bounces back. Um, you know, the big problem in 2021 was when they got pushed around by Oregon and by Michigan in, in the trenches. They couldn't stop basic run plays, power run. Um, and so they went out and hired Jim Knowles, one of the best coordinators in America uh, from Oklahoma State. And they brought him up there and it turned around the defense into a top 10 unit for most of the year. Top 20 right now as it sits. But, uh, and it worked through the first 11 games perfectly. It's just, again, against Michigan, against a power offensive line. They got pushed around. Uh, they sold out to stop the run and were overexposed to some of those long yardage plays. You saw J.J. McCarthy hitting long yardage plays, and uh, Michigan ran away with it. So, uh, to a long story short, uh, have, they, have they made adjustments? Because they're going up against another top 10 offensive line in Georgia, one of the only lines in America that's top 10 in both my offensive line run push and my pass pro numbers. Uh, so they have their hands full, and um, we'll see how they came out of the break here, a five-week break, uh, if they've made some adjustments on their defensive line front seven. So uh, that's one matchup in the trenches that could determine it. Um, flipping to the other game, 
it's going to come down to who makes more uh, long yardage plays. Uh, TCU is really reliant on their chunk plays, their 20-plus yard plays. Um, you know, it's uh, you, you spoke about Max Duggan, an incredible athlete, incredible leader, um, you know, a fifth-year guy at TCU. Um, and uh, he puts his team in position to win. He can pull the ball and run it. He's not one of these guys that's going to go slide or, or tiptoe out of bounds. He's going to truck you or outrun you. Uh, I've seen that for four years following TCU. Um, and then does a great job getting the ball to his playmakers. Quinton Johnson on the outside is, is all-American caliber. He wins all his one-on-one battles. So, um, so, so to answer the question on that game, it's going to be who gets more of those 20-yard trunk plays and can TCU limit the, uh, Michigan doing the same? Now, you hit it uh, ju- just a moment ago. A lot of these games have not been close at all. Uh, are, are you expecting that to change this weekend, or are we going to see some more of the same, some some more blowouts in, in the college football playoff? Yeah, so maybe it's the optimist in me, but I, I think we're going to get some close games here. I think we're due. Um, you know, this, this has been a crazy season so far throughout college football. I think we see some of these close games coming here. Um, I especially like that TCU-Michigan game. I think it's more of a toss-up. Uh, I saw the initial line came out at 10 and a half uh, Michigan favorite. I, I thought that was crazy. It's still sitting there over the, the key number there at seven and a half. Um, so I, I like TCU there in, in a close one. Um, and then with UGA and Ohio state, this one, um, you know, you're talking about two of the blue blood rosters, two of the uh, superpower recruiting rosters. They're always uh, in the top three in recruiting every year. It's stockpiled with five stars and four stars. Um, what I've seen from the playoffs so far in these first eight years is, Teams look a lot different coming out of the break, especially if they're young, especially if they're five-star recruits. And they get those 15 bowl practices, five weeks of extra coaching and conditioning. Teams come out looking a lot different. So I, I look for both these teams to look different. I think Ohio State makes a big jump after the break and, um, you know, enough to make this competitive. So, uh, you know, again, maybe it's optimistic to think because I want great games for the sport. Uh, but I think we're going to see two close games into the fourth quarter. Now, given what I know, Brett, uh, about these two games, the the two things that have stuck out to me as as far as what I've seen in, in other previews and stuff like that is, like we talked about, Michigan have an absolute monster front five um, on their offense, and TCU not necessarily being the traditional power defense that that they were under Gary Patterson. Is is there a possibility that they they run all over the Horn Frogs this weekend? It's definitely a possibility. That's that's kind of their trademark with Michigan is uh, the big offensive line. It's back to back Joe Moore finalists uh, for the best offensive line. Um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely their trademark. You know, when Jim Harbaugh got on the hot seat a couple years back, it was because of that offense under Josh Gaddis. They called it speed and space, and it was designed to basically be Ohio State, but in, in maize and blue. Uh, it didn't work. So in twenty twenty one. Jim Harbaugh doubled down on his old uh, philosophy that worked at Stanford, just the power run game, the big offensive line, controlling the clock. And you saw last year it clicked. They made the playoff last year. It clicked again this year. So, uh, yeah, that's their, you know, that's their forte. Now with TCU, um, vastly improved on defense from last year. Uh, you know, it all just fell apart last year. I think that it might have been an outdated scheme uh, under Gary Patterson, but, um, you know, he is one of the greatest defensive minds in the game. So, um, but anyway, yeah, they, they got it corrected. It's not, it's nowhere near a top 10 defense for TCU. They've been more of the, uh, outscore the opponent kind of deal rather than hunkering down on D. But, um, if you need a comparison, look at how they played against Kansas state, both matchups. Uh, I know they lost one of them, but, uh, they, they kept the offense in check and that's a similar kind of style, you know, a physical run game that Michigan comes with, but, um, yeah, we'll see about that. It's crazy to call them, uh, uh, you know, an, an upstart program with Michigan because they're the number one winningest team of all time. But 
in terms of the last 30 years, I mean, this is uh, TCU and Michigan are both kind of upstarts on the playoff scene while you have Georgia and Ohio State, the more experienced playoff teams over there. We're talking the CFP this weekend, college football playoff with Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Uh, Brett, when uh, again, to, to go back to the two teams that I probably know the best given the previews, but uh, feel free to, to flip it and, and talk about Ohio State and, and Georgia here as well, but uh let's say that that somehow the the run game isn't able to get going for Michigan and uh it, it falls into the hands of JJ McCarthy to win that football game can he do that well he certainly proved himself against Ohio State and if you had asked me this before the Ohio State game I'd have been just as skeptical I mean I you know uh, he's a younger starter uh the the offense like we talked about really relies on the run game so with the game on the line how would he fare and he really hit his, uh, his receivers there against Ohio State. Some were really wide open. Some were great throws, and he, he threw them open. So uh, when you look at his season numbers there, it's been a solid season, 66% completion, 20 touchdowns, just three picks. He's taking care of the ball um, and a good complement to, to a dominant run game. So, uh, But here's the thing is when the run game is clicking, it really opens up the play-action balls and, and, the, and the pass game for Michigan. So it's a good question you have that if, if TCU can neutralize the run game, uh, Ken McCarthy, you know, throw it 30, 40 times and, and really outpace TCU uh, as it stands right now. I don't think so. If, if this turns into a shootout and especially if the run game is neutralized by Michigan, I, I like TCU big in that one. But uh, that's a major if I don't see it happening. I think Michigan's offensive line, uh, like we talked about, is dominant and we'll, we'll get their yardage there and establish the run. Uh, on the flip side. Yeah, I mean, it, it, no one's really talking about Georgia, this historic run they're on. Um, not just undefeated this year, but to go back-to-back, to win back-to-back national titles, uh, outright national titles in college football is super rare. Uh, going back the last 60 years, it's only happened twice. Nebraska, 94-95, and then Alabama, 2011-2012. Uh, so uh, if they were able to, to you know, defend their title, go back-to-back, it becomes just the third team since 1960. So uh, a lot on the line for them. They got to go through a Blue Blood program, a powerhouse roster with Ohio State. All right, so who wins and why? So here we go with the picks. Uh, I'm going TCU outright, and with that seven and a half um, in the game over there uh, against Michigan, I really like Max Duggan. You know, he took a lot of flack from NFL draft guys that that circle back when Jalen Rager was getting drafted. Uh, I defended him back then, even. Um, of course, went through a quarterback battle again this fall. Battled through injuries. This guy's a warrior and uh, kind of a throwback because how often do you see a guy who loses a starting job in, in fall camp or spring ball, transfer out and transfer again, and sometimes transfer four times like we see with JT Daniels. But uh, credit Max Duggan for hunkering down, betting on himself and, and uh, you know, betting on his team and, um, you know, leading his team, bouncing back and going 13-0, and well, 12-0 and uh, in the regular season. So I like him. He's a warrior. Uh, he, he earned my Heisman vote, um, and I think that he carries them to victory. So I'll go TCU outright. And then the other game, uh, I'm going to go Georgia with the win, but I like Ohio State to cover the seven and a half number there. So uh, look for a competitive game, a shootout. Um, I think the the you know the the formula by LSU last game in the SEC title against Georgia, they put up 400 plus passing yards on the vaunted Georgia defense. I think if LSU could pull that off, certainly Ohio State can can do similar with uh, the precise CJ Stroud. His you know his precision with the ball is incredible. It's a NFL uh, stockpiled receiver group there, so. I think they're both going to score a ton. 
uh, but Georgia wins it late. So uh, let's go with Georgia and TCU facing off in the national title. So before I, I ask about that, you mentioned the the bevy of wide receiver talent. Is Jackson Smith and Jigba playing this weekend? I, I think I saw that he was not. Yeah, I believe he's out. Um, again, this is kind of a theme with the bowl games and, and the playoff. You got to just stay up to date with the – uh, the opt-out tracker, uh, yeah. the transfer portal, the injuries. Yeah. I mean, I, I mostly don't even lock in bull picks until an hour before the game. I mean, you, you, it's, uh, you know, so with the playoff, I know some of the bigger names are already declared or out. But, uh, yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I believe, is out. Blake Corum, the star running back from Michigan, I believe, is out. But, again, uh, you know, keep a close eye on that until within an hour of kickoff to really get updated rosters. So uh, that's just the name of the game anymore with bowl season. So disappointing. I, I'd love to see uh, Corum, Corum back and in, in playing for, for Michigan for sure. Of course, Ohio State still has Marvin Harrison Jr. As far as I know at this point. Um, and, and of course, he is he is uber talented. So I've loved watching him play. So you got Georgia and TCU in that championship game. Who's who's your uh, who's your who's your champion? Well, it sounds boring, but I'll go with Georgia. Uh, I do think they're the best team in America. Uh one of the only teams that's top five in both my offense and defense numbers. Uh, you know, those are opponent adjusted and per play. That's kind of my secret sauce. And uh, yeah, they're, they're top five in both. Of course, we'd like to talk about Georgia's defense. They sent so many guys to the pros last year, but if you watch Georgia, they rotate guys more than anyone in America and they're very specialized in their roles. They're all five stars and four stars. I basically call them next year's first round picks. I mean, it's just <laughs> incredible what they pulled off on defense but overshadowed by that is their offense, which is very efficient and explosive uh, when you break it down per play. Um, so, yeah, great tight end group. Stetson Bennett gets the job done. Um, you know, he, he's sharp with the ball, too. And, uh, you know, we'd already talked about their offensive line, top 10 in both run push and pass protection. So, uh, you know, great coaching staff. There's a lot to like. They're the, the most well-rounded team and they're the, the defending champs. I'll go with them to, the, to defend their title. All right, Brett, uh, last last thing for you before we let you go, um, <clears throat> given you're more of a, a, a national guy, and uh, we just talked about the fact that Alabama is one of those teams that won in 2011 and 2012. They're, they're just absolutely stacked almost every year. Are you like me and happy that the Crimson Tide did not make the playoff this year? Well, yeah, it's uh, that's a tough <laughs> one. I mean, you know, I don't like to play favorites and all, but I do like to see fresh faces make the playoff. I think that uh, these these four teams have certainly earned it. I think it's good for the sport to get some variety. Now, uh, with that said, I respect the heck out of what Nick Saban has built. I respect that uh, he continues to adapt. I mean, when you know he has his his model that worked in 2011, it was power run and defense. Uh, when that started to, to not work and modern offenses were taking over, what did he do? He went out and hired Lane Kiffin and modernized the offense and, uh, you know, kept up with the times there. When the transfer portal started happening, he mastered that. Uh, the NIL stuff, the recruiting, he continues to adapt and master that. So uh, look at a guy there with Nick Saban that continues to adapt in an ever-changing sport. So, but yeah, I think uh, you like to see some new faces. I'm really excited to see TCU in the bracket. I think it's exciting to get the Big 12 back in there. Big 12 looking for their first playoff victory ever, which, uh, you know, and it's kind of fitting if it comes from somebody not named Oklahoma or Texas. You know, everyone wanted to write off the Big 12 and say they're going to fold and collapse and uh, they should just be, you know, picked off like a fire sale by the other conferences. Uh, credit them for, for doubling down and uh, adding four strong teams there that they added. And great to see a smaller team like TCU make it. So I think they're America's team. If you look at the bracket, uh, everyone wants to pull for the underdog. That's TCU this year. 
He is Brett Ciancia, owner of Pick 6 Previews, Heisman Voter, All-America Committee. Great stuff joining us here on this Saturday morning on Cornstalks and Sports Talks, or excuse me, Cornstalks and Sports Talk, uh, at Pick 6 Previews on Twitter. Go give him a follow for all the college football news, opinions, all that great stuff. Brett, thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate it. Enjoy the games. Okay, don't go anywhere. We got Sean Bach coming up previewing that Iowa-Hawkeye bowl game later today versus the Kentucky Wildcats. Of course, we got to talk about those Eastern Illinois and Nebraska losses for the Iowa basketball squad. Stay right here on AM950 KOEL and KOEL.com for more corn stocks and sports talk. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whole lot to talk about in the world of Hawkeye sports today on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com. Who better to do that with than regular guest of the show, Sean Bach from 24-7 Sports and Hawkeye Insider. So what I think we need to start with today, despite the craziness of Hawkeye basketball at this point in time, uh, is is that bowl game. Iowa taking on Kentucky for the second year in a row, um, and that's going to be today at 11 a.m. on ABC. Sean a whole lot of guys that were regular starters, regular contributors uh, for the Hawkeyes this season on both sides of the field won't be in this game against Kentucky. Do you have any level of expectations going into this game, or are you just kind of waiting and watching to see what happens? Well, I mean, one of the things that I think you really come to appreciate with these bowl games is we've seen in the past few days, I mean, the Cheez-It Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, um, and then the bowl between, you know, Kansas and Arkansas, like those programs, I mean, Kansas is probably different because they're not usually known as a story program, but these bowl games are really like, people care about them. Like, I feel like a lot of the talk about them, like beforehand is like, Hey, like it really doesn't matter in the end. But once you see like these guys get on the field and stuff and like start competing, then you really see that passion come out and that, you know, fortitude to really want to win. Unlike what some people say when they talk about canceling these bowls. So with this Iowa Kentucky bowl, I feel like it's the perfect setup for next year. Now you want to win this game. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, you don't want to lose Kentucky two years in a row and with beating an SEC team that can really be a driver into your next season. And, well, Kentucky, you know, has struggled as of late. They they started out the season really strong. I think they lost like four of their last five games or something along there for their last six. But they have a lot of talent on this team. They have two receivers who, while, you know, Will Levis won't be playing at quarterback for Kentucky, they have two receivers that were all SEC as freshmen. I think they were on the pro football focus all American team as fresh or the freshman all American team. And then they have some really good players on defense, too. The defense was a strength for them this year. So, you know, for Iowa to really, like, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it as, like, a kind of a tryout for next year because you have certain positions that, you know, the starters aren't necessarily out there. I mean, you talk about that strong safety position with Kayvon Merriweather not playing. It's going to be fascinating to see who starts there. Xavier Wampa, former five-star, could be in contention to play there. 
Um, the quarterback position, obviously, with Kay McMara coming in next year, you know, that that's going to be kind of up for grabs. Um, I mean, Joey Labus is going to have the job on Saturday, on, uh, Saturday, but McNamara will likely get the job next year. But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, that backup position for next year. If Joey Labus can really establish himself there, or, you know, how good of a game does he have? I mean, I'm not saying he's going to transfer, but I think if he has a good enough game, like there are going to be some schools that are going to be like, okay, dude, like, why don't you come play for us? Like, you're not going to start the next two seasons barring an injury to K McNamara. Why don't you kind of, you know, see see where things are at with us and, you know, get get you know get on the field? I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's the current, you know, stage of college football where we're at. And, you know, it's not out of the question, in my opinion. Um, so it's going to be very fascinating to see what happens on Saturday. I mean, like I said, Kentucky has a couple guys down, but they're still pretty talented. I think their offense outside of their receivers is going to struggle a little bit. Um defensively they'll still be pretty solid even though if you guys have opted out if you guys are injured but it'll be it'll be a pretty close game I mean I'm not expecting a lot of fireworks on the offensive end but it should still be a really highly contested game and you mentioned Labis in there the the third string quarterback who's going to be starting for the Hawkeyes this weekend I've seen some stuff on Twitter uh, about the uh, Iowa offense looking different with him there (laughs) given that he's a little bit more mobile um, do you expect anything in particular uh, to look different? Is there anything that you know about what they're going to be doing differently this weekend with more of a mobile quarterback under center? Yeah, I think the uh, the design is to do some more RPOs, some more run pass option, and you have Lavis use his legs a little bit more than Spencer Petrus did. I mean, Petrus is not known for his legs by any means, but Lavis, I think that's one of the big strengths for him. And, I mean, the team talked about it, too, in a couple of uh, interviews that they really like what Lavis can do with his feet and how he can make throws on the run. And, you know, that's a really impressive thing about his game. So I'm really fascinated to see how that how that kind of comes into play. I mean, one of the bright spots of the, uh, of the Citrus Bowl last year was Iowa got its run game going a little bit because that was one of the big struggles. But – you know, obviously it didn't carry over into this year so much. So I'm really encouraged to see, you know, how he does. And I mean, the wide receiver group too. I mean, I know I was making it a point to bring in at least two wide receiver transfers, but you have three guys and Nico Regani, Deontay Vines and Jacob Bostic. You know, it's kind of unclear what's going to happen with Brody Brecht in this game. I know he wasn't practicing this week, but it's in, those are three guys that are going to play pretty solid roles for Iowa next year. And getting Regani back was an absolutely huge, huge thing for next year, too. So it's going to be fascinating to see you know, how those guys kind of step up as the lead guys. I know Keegan Johnson wasn't really present this year, and Arlen Bruce struggled. But having those three guys, you know, they have a really good chance of really breaking out, you know, this in this game and, you know, setting a good setting a good foot forward for next year, too. Yeah, you know, I've seen some folks. We're gonna get off track here when because you, you mentioned uh, Nico Rigini. Um, uh, I I don't necessarily. Do you think it's that it's, it's he? Uh, tell me, okay, you said it was huge. Tell me why you think it's huge. Is it is it the fact that he loves Iowa City? Is it the fact that that he's been in the system for so long? Why why is it huge that that Nico Rigini is coming back? I think it's big because, one, it's an experienced guy. That's something that can't be unquestioned. I know he struggled with drops in the past, but I think he is probably one of the best route runners on the team. 
And three, I also think that, and I also think he's really good at separating at the line of scrimmage, um, especially, but I think he has to have guys around him that can do the same. And three, I think he's a really good bridge for Cade McNamara because I think it's, it's, it's a new experiment for Iowa. You know, bringing in a transfer quarterback, like when was the last time that Iowa did that? And especially a guy of Cade McNamara's magnitude, I'm not saying Cade, you know, is cocky, but Cade's a confident, experienced dude who's been there on the highest level. Like, he's not coming in. I mean, he's going to come in, be, you know, be a good teammate, be a good locker room guy, but he wants to come in and win. And he wants to, you know, you know, I think Nico can really help bridge that gap with some of the younger wide receivers and uh, Cade because, you know, I think obviously the age thing, but I think Nico, you know, being two years older than Cade. Cade was, I mean, Nico's class of 2018, Cade was 2019, but Cade or Nico is technically two years older because Nico did a year of prep school. So Nico's going to be 24 in January in like 25 days. So I think just having an, I think having experience in the locker room is so invaluable. That's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is just having another guy in that locker room. And he can be another, you know, guy that really helps out some of those transfer wide receivers too. He's been there before. He's been through the highs and lows. And, you know, I think he's a really important player for the Iowa team and, you know, is a really good receiver too. I mean, I know he struggled with drops in the past, but there's just a lot of qualities that he has. And, you know, from a teammate perspective too, that I think are going to be very valuable for the Iowa team. Now back to that bowl game with all of that said of, of so many guys missing for Iowa. Of course, you mentioned Will Levis from uh, Kentucky, who's going to be out as well. I think I saw that their starting running back isn't going to be playing as well. Um, but do you know much about the the guys that are going to replace them? Have you seen much film on on who's going to start at, at uh, quarterback for the Wildcats? So at quarterback, I believe it's Destin Wade, the true freshman, who's going to start at quarterback for Kentucky. Um, I think he's more – he can throw and he can kind of run a little bit. But I also think they're going to try out a couple different guys, too. I think they said it might be a quarterback by committee, depending on how Wade does. I know Kaya Sharon played earlier this year against South Carolina, had, you know, it's 15 of 27 for 178 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception in the loss of the Gamecocks. And honestly, former Iowa quarterback Deuce Hogan can maybe get some run. Deuce is now walked on at Kentucky after transferring from Iowa last at the end of the regular season last year. So, he's a guy that could potentially get some run as well. So I think those are, you know, I think it's going to be a quarterback by committee, but I think Destin Wade is going to be the main guy um, at quarterback for Kentucky, or at least the guy that's going to get the start. I haven't seen too much on the, on the running back situation for Kentucky though. I know Chris Rodriguez played last year against Iowa in the, uh, in the citrus bowl and had that big, had that go ahead touchdown at the end of the game. Um, but I don't know who they're going to go with on Saturday. All right, Sean, who wins? I think Iowa does 10 to three. Oh. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go 17 to 10 just because okay. I think, I mean, the defenses are going to be the story, but I think Iowa, I think both teams might have a defensive turnover or defensive touchdown. Sure. There you go. Okay. That sounds a lot more entertaining than 10 to three. Uh, again, we got <laughs> Sean Bach from 24 seven sports and Hawkeye insider on Corn stocks and sports talk on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com this morning. Uh, we'll shift now to, to basketball. Eastern Illinois loss. Chris Murray comes back, but but you still lose to Nebraska. What the hell is going on with Hawkeye basketball right now, man? 
Dude, I wish I could tell you. It's been, uh, <laughs> it has certainly been interesting the past couple games. And, you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to say there, there was no excuse for the loss to Eastern Illinois. I was kind of, you know, having a hard time, like, evaluating it, like how I should look at it, because it was like a few days before Christmas. Our game, like, there were so many upsets of ranked teams that, like, right before Christmas. So I was kind of like, you know what? Maybe it's a fluke. But I really think that lead that has led into bigger problems. And I honestly think it started at that Duke game. Iowa has to be shooting the ball well to win these games or to win games because their offense, man, like I, I got to give a lot of credit to Nebraska because their defense was very, very good last night and they're a very tough physical team. And that's something that Iowa has had a lot of issues with this year, especially with their offense. I mean, outside of Chris Murray and Philip Abracha, the rest of Iowa's players were five of 42 from the field, which is something that cannot happen. There was only one – Connor McCaffrey was the only player to have one two-point field goal outside of Phil Verbracha and Chris Murray. And Patrick McCaffrey, Tony Perkins, Connor McCaffrey, and Josh Dix were the only – had only one three-pointer. Like, all four of those guys hit one three-pointer. Perkins's was, like, at the end of the game. And none – like – that was it. Like, this was probably Iowa's worst, one of their worst offensive performances in the Fran McCaffrey era. And, you know, that's something that really doesn't happen all that much. And I don't know if there's a disconnect with, you know, the way that team's game plan for them, but Iowa just doesn't have the shooters this year, and they just cannot hit shots. It's really frustrating to watch because, you know, you thought this team could maybe take that step forward, but it really was a valid question of whether this team had enough shooters coming into the year to be consistent, to be the type of offense that they had been. So it's very, very confusing because Iowa is so built around the offensive end and they're a much better team when they get in transition. But in the half court, it's just like, what are you doing half the time? It's really like I'm really, really lost of you know how how bad they have been offensively in some of these games. And when teams push them out to the perimeter, that's when they have the most trouble. I mean, I don't know if it's I think they need to get the ball inside more to Philbert Bracha. I think that's gonna be something they need to do. But they've they've shot miserably from three in the past few games. I don't exactly have the numbers in front of me with the exact you know three point percentage but they were seven of 27 against wisconsin eight of 22 against southeast missouri state which i mean isn't horrible but isn't great seven of 33 against eastern illinois and seven of 28 against nebraska and against duke they were three of 16 against iowa state they were 12 of 23 so this team really seems to live and die by the three but they're not a good enough three-point shooting team to be like that. So, I don't know, man. It's – I mean, Nebraska's a tough team. They played Purdue really tough. Only held them to 65 points. But, man, like, it doesn't get any easier. 
You got Penn State on the road, who I, I know Penn State, you know, not many people are used to them being good at basketball, but Penn State beat Illinois. I know Illinois is struggling, but they beat Illinois on the road. That was a really big win. They're a really good balanced team. Indiana's tough. Play them at home. Then you go to Rutgers on the road, and that's probably the toughest place to play in the Big Ten. Then you have three straight home games against Michigan, Maryland, Northwestern. I think they have to go 3-0 and in those games to have a chance. But also it depends on what happens in these next three games. But this stretch is probably the most important of the season. You got six, six games, and if you win at least four of them, then you give yourself a chance. But, I mean, with the way things are looking, it is, it is not ideal. Bart Torvik projects Iowa will finish 17-14 and 14 at the end of the year. And that's NIT. And this is a team that was thought to be like a top, you know, five seed in the NCAA tournament, or maybe top seven, top eight seed in the NCAA tournament. And now it's looking like the NIT. So they got to figure it out fast. You got to hit shots. Defense is okay, but it's not great. It just comes down to effort and just making shots because they're real. I mean, they're not turning over the basketball but they're just not executing on offense. And it's just very strange to see a Fran McCaffrey team not execute that like that on offense. Sean Bach getting us the lowdown on both Iowa Hawkeye football and basketball as the Hawks are struggling on the courts and moving towards playing the Wildcats today in the Music City Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee. He is Sean Bach, S. Bach. 247 on Twitter. Go give him a follow. He always got great stuff uh, on the Hawkeyes on Twitter. So, Sean, again, always appreciate you hopping on, man. Yeah, thank you, Elliot. Talk to you soon, man. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's weekend episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Wherever you're listening, we greatly appreciate it. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to leave that rate and review. It helps us so, so, so much. Subscribe, follow, so you do not miss an episode. And, of course, you can always listen to us from 9 to 10 on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com on Saturday mornings. If you miss any part of the show, you can always listen on any of our podcasting platforms. That includes the KOEL app. All of our UNI content will be there as well. And my name is Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media, and this was another week's episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.